Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps commentator and writer with Graham Neary of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia.com. Now in my 11th year writing those reports amazingly. So I'm recording this on Sunday the 12th of March 2023. Uh, two massive topics this week to go through. The first is that we've had probably the largest fraud on the UK market for some time. Uh, Wan Disco. W-A-N-D. This is a share I've talked about a lot. I'll come on to it in more detail at the end because it's uh, a big topic. And the second big topic this week is, of course, uh, in America, rumblings of the credit crunch have resurfaced with um, Silicon Valley Bank going bust. I believe it's about the 20th largest bank in the in the US. Um, also has a considerable presence in the UK, lending to a lot of startups and speculative tech uh, type companies in uh, in conjunction with uh, private equity and venture capitalists i believe um so i'll 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 cover that topic towards the end so let's launch straight away into monday's small cap value report right so the first company i covered on monday morning this is the 6th of march actually was wan disco um how things changed in a, in a week because on monday the 6th of march it put out an announcement saying that it was considering a listing in the US. Now that was an open secret anyway, so it caused a brief spike up in the share price, but I think everybody who was involved with the company already knew that uh, was the, the, the CEO was openly talking about that in a, uh, in a meeting that I attended the previous Thursday. So I've commented on this. I'm glad to say I kept my commentary on one disco nice and balanced, pointing out bull and bear points. So I've said here, um, if where is it? If even part of what the super bullish CEO claims for the company actually happens, then this company could become an important player in the infrastructure of the internet, uh, implying some doubt there, of course. Because I mean, what well, really, with hindsight, well, not even with hindsight at the time as well, his claims for the company, um, David Richards, were, were becoming more and more um, bullish to a point of uh, really seeming quite outlandish. Um, very outlandish by the end. And then um, I've said here as well, the second to last paragraph, I've said, I remain intrigued by the share, Wan Disco, with the contract wins having convinced me to buy, which of course turned out to be bogus, but I'll come on to that later. I'm sitting tight and see this as a fairly speculative position because it has had false dawns in the past. A value share this is very much not. Past performance has been diabolical, so it's the future that investors are buying into. <clears throat> and then I've said in the last paragraph, blah, 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 hence why I'm holding on to some scepticism and not going in too big with my position sizing for my personal holding in wand. So thank goodness I, I put up something um, that might have actually put off some investors from, from buying into it on Monday the 6th of March because, you know, it was wildly speculative but I never imagined that it would turn out to be a complete fraud. Uh, so we'll come on to that. What did I look at next? Um, Capita, CPI. I really like this one and I do have a very small position in it myself. Um, and I wrote up my notes for, for the company's... Uh, what was it? It was... Oh, it was a, a webinar they did, uh, you know, and I just I just typed up my notes from it, the results webinar. I think it looks very good, uh, Capita does. It's a very good turnaround. The main thing is they pretty much eliminated all the debt and they're saying that within six months they will have eliminated all the debt, which is a staggering turnaround because this thing was in really a, a pretty serious mess just two or three years ago. 
And it's now looking very interesting, I think. So yeah, I like Capita. A little bit above my usual market cap limit, but doesn't matter, does it? Next, I looked at Clarkson, the shipping company. Now, this was an interesting one. Results to December 2022 came out. Everything looks great. Big increase in earnings per share, dividends and so on. But I dug through the accounts and found an absolutely massive um, liability on the balance sheet, which would account for more than half of the 384 million cash pile. That's the gross cash figure. Um, and this is labelled up, here we are, a liability of 225 million uh, for amounts reserved for bonuses included within current trade creditors. 225 million quid for bonuses. What the hell is going on? Um, also, it spent £20.4 buying up shares for its ESOP, Employee Share Ownership Plan. Um, and if you look at how much shareholders got paid, that was only £25.9 So <clears throat> staff bonuses appear, I think it's several years accrued bonuses, it's got to be staff, hasn't it? What else could it be? Um, it's ten times the annual dividend payment of Clarkson. So I think that's a very, very bizarre position that would need more work but it makes it a barge pole job for me i wouldn't go near it if uh, employees have managed to rack up a 250 million pound bonus pile so unless i've got you know misunderstood something i don't know but you need to really look at that very carefully i think um <clears throat> that said clarkson's had a good long-term share price trend Although when you look back to charts from 2005 or 2010, you've got to bear in mind, cumulative inflation since then has been quite substantial. So in real terms, actually the gain on, on Clarkson's share price isn't, isn't that amazing. But there have been divvies as well. Graham looked at seeing machines again, SEE. I said to him, oh God, when our chat facility thing, I said, why are you looking at that one again? He says, Paul, I haven't covered it for six months. I said, oh, okay. And he, you know, he did make the point that it's business model seems to be moving in the right direction, but it's still very expensive and still burning a lot of cash. So neither of us are really keen on that. Foxton's did an acquisition on Monday. I think that was pretty much it for Monday. Going on to Tuesday, uh, we only looked at four companies on Tuesday. Graham did two, I did two. So he looked at Foxton's, which an H&T, the pawnbroker, both of which he quite likes. I looked at Wincanton. Now, this was a profit warning. Um, it went down, and another theme for this week is a resurgence in profit warnings, unfortunately. So we're certainly not out of the woods in terms of the economy, which I think the strong surge in shares over the last five or six months has maybe lulled us into a false sense of security. By us, I mean, obviously, investors. So Wincanton, I, I remember vaguely there was something slightly wobbly in its last trading update. I can't remember what it was. Uh, I, I think they were saying something along the lines of that higher inflation means that the volume of goods that retailers are shifting, because Wincanton is a, a logistics firm, outsourced logistics for, for lots of major retailers, um, seems to be a very well-run company. But because there are actually lower volumes of products going through, that, um, <clears throat> you know, at higher prices... Uh, to the customer, it doesn't result in, in higher prices for Wincanton. It actually means reduced revenues, I think. But they've been very good at winning new contracts in recent years. Unfortunately, they've hit a bit of a brick wall. Shares dropped 24% to 231 pence. Market cap of 289 million for Wincanton. Um, now, the problem was basically the loss of one lucrative contract with HMRC, which I believe 
was were up for for retendering, and unusually, Win Canton lost the tender. It went to a French uh, logistics company, I believe. Um, but this goes to reinforce a point that I've made several times recently before, that we don't really know what's going on under the surface at companies. You know, they could have one very big, very lucrative contract that makes, you know, I don't know, a large chunk of their profits. And I think I mentioned this last week, actually, theoretically. So it's just a coincidence that a, a situation's arisen this week with Wynne Canton, which uh, demonstrated and reinforced that point. Um so, uh, but I think the shares for Wincanton are very attractively priced. It's not a disastrous um, profit warning. I think I've, I've put here that the, and it doesn't affect March 23 year end, but it uh, the brokers dropped earnings per share forecasts for the following year. So that's March 2024 by about 20%. And the trouble is it does clobber the nice, you know, gentle uptrend in earnings that the company had established over several years. So you now look at it and think, okay, you know, the loss of just one contract has now really messed up uh, the, the the profit growth and, and everything. And, you know, you do think to yourself, well, how many other companies are going to have uh, encounter a similar sort of thing this year? So I think we really do need to redouble our wariness about um, profit warnings I think we're going to see a lot more of them this year, unfortunately. And that does call into question the current prices of quite a lot of companies. You know, the standard thing you hear in lots of company announcements now is that customers are becoming more cautious about making big uh, capex or, um, you know, big purchase decisions for software and things like that. So it's obvious to me that the sort of sectors that we should maybe be starting to be a bit wary about are software, any sort of capital goods um, that uh, are supplied to companies that are expanding, which may now pause their expansion. So we probably all need to go away and have a think about which companies could be vulnerable, maybe sell or top slice our positions in, in some of them, unless you're just prepared to hold through a profit warning. I, I quite like taking small positions in things and um, topping up if a fundamentally good company puts out a mild profit warning, because that can be a buying opportunity. Certainly that's my view with Wynn Canton. I don't, I don't hold it personally, but I do. I nearly bought some on the day of the profit warning. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't find any spare cash. So if I'd had some spare cash, I would have bought Wynn Canton around 220, because I think it is carried on falling. But you've now got a very good dividend yield, about 6% on Wynn Canton, and I think it should be able to keep paying the divvies. I think it's about twice covered off the top of my head. Now, I also looked at Calnex, CLX. This is a software company that <clears throat> put out a profit warning. The shares dropped by a third to £1.17, 102 million market cap. Now, this, funnily enough, exactly the same thing, well, almost the same thing that Wing Canton said. Calnex said uh, March 23 year end is in line, but they're now expecting lower profits for March 2024. Now, Senkos very kindly uh, updated the numbers. It's so helpful when the brokers do this. So thank you so much to Senkos, Librem, FinCap, WH Ireland, and some of the others who, who put out their forecasts on, on um, Research Tree. It really helps me do my job. Without it, I'd really struggle to give a, a sensible opinion on these things. Um, hopefully sensible, anyway. Well, Senkos has slashed the forecast by almost half, 48%. That's a massive cut. And obviously, it's the oper operational gearing, isn't it? With uh, software being close to 100% gross margin, you know, you, you, you take an axe to the top line and it drops straight through. 
and they if they want to preserve profits they have to start cutting costs and you know there may not be costs in there that uh, can be cut so but i've come to the view that based on on the, the revised forecast, Calnex shares still look much too expensive to me. So I think people who are buying them or holding Calnex shares are, by implication, assuming that earnings are going to recover strongly. Well, that, that's, that, that doesn't look a very attractive risk-reward proposition to me. What if earnings don't recover strongly? And why would you want to pay up front for a, a recovery in earnings that hasn't happened? So I put a question mark over Calnex. It, it looks a good enough company. It's pro nicely profitable in good years, but I've gone red on it because simply because of that valuation factor. I think the shares really would need to fall a lot further to interest me. Sorry we didn't get round to covering uh, four companies. I'll go Blockchair, which is crap anyway. Forget that one. Premier Foods, a little bit big, <coughs> a billion market cap. Dot Digital I would have liked to have covered. So actually, let me make a note. I might... <coughs> Excuse me, I might circle back to that one next week. So I think I remember saying it was starting to look decent valued around ATP. And finally, Revolution, Revolution Bars. I do hold that personally, but I didn't get around to looking at the numbers till Friday. I'm not madly enamoured by that, I have to say, even though I'm not going to say I like it just because I hold the shares. I think it is quite high risk. It's got too much debt. Um, crazy doing an acquisition of Peach Pubs when it did, but, you know, they've done it now. And uh, I think that's quite finely balanced, actually. It could, I think, if trading deteriorates any further, they could get into trouble. So, yeah, I think um, I think if I was forced to give a rating on Revolution Bars, even though I hold it myself, and I'm not going to sell, I'm in it for the duration, it's high risk reward. I would I would probably go red on it just to warn readers that actually Revolution Bars is high risk. So it's really only for people who are prepared to, you know, go into it with with our eyes open about what the, the risk reward is. The way I look at it is it could be a serious loss if they're forced into doing another placing, although they could sell peach pubs, of course, because they're not integrated. Um, to reduce, and that would almost eliminate bank debt, because that's where nearly all the debt came from. The balance sheet is actually positive net tangible asset value after you cancel the uh, goodwill and the, all the lease entries. There's a big deficit on the lease entries, but I always remove those. <coughs> but it's very clear that the company shouldn't have taken on all that debt to buy peach pubs. That was a terrible mistake, I think. Um, but if they can trade their way through the next year without things actually getting any worse... It could then be a three, four bagger in a recovery, I think. That's why I bought some. Okay, so that was, what day was that? That was Tuesday, Tuesday 7th of March. Okay, rattling on then to Wednesday, the 8th of March. Graham starts off with Restaurant Group. Doesn't like it. He's gone red on that. Um, it's the balance sheet we don't like about that one. And uh, I've always said that for a number of years. I looked at Somaronex, Somaro Enterprises, SOM. I'm green on this. I think it's good value. It dropped... 3% to 385 pence, 215 market value. This is obviously the laser-guided machines for laying perfectly flat uh, warehouse floors, mainly for warehouses, but they're also diversifying into, I think they do a smaller machine for high-rise apartment blocks as well. A really, really great quality company, makes fantastic profit margins, generates tons of cash that it pays out in divvies and special divvies, but for years, ever since 2008, actually, investors have fretted over the cyclicality of the business because it came close to going bust in 2008 when, you know, the great financial crisis, demand just dried up and so on. But it's a very different company now in terms of its finances. It's got surplus cash, no debt. Um, 
I think it's really good. Every time I look at Summer, I think this is so cheap. But I think we do have to factor in the risk of, of a profit warning this year. And apparently there's a shortage of concrete in America as well, which is its main market, which may or may not have some impact on it. But it's saying, um, you know, that the, the order backlog for its clients is still healthy. Uh, the shares just look very cheap, so it's factoring in a lot of downside on that. Trouble is, if they put out a profit warning, even though I'm saying it's already factored into the price, this, the price would still drop, wouldn't it? Another 20 30%. So I don't know what to do with Somero. I think if you... It just depends on your macro view. I think we've probably seen peak earnings for Somero last year. If they even manage to hang on to most of those earnings this year and next year, then the shares will be very, very cheap. And you get generous divvies while you wait. So I like Somero, but that's coming at it from my value investor perspective, uh, thinking in terms of holding it five years plus rather than as a trade. You know, I think it dropped quite a bit on Friday as well, seen as a cyclical share. Uh, every now and again, the market offers a Somero shares dirt cheap. I'm not sure... I'm not sure we're at the low yet. Well, you never know, do you? But it's it's a it's a it's a jolly good company. Uh, who looked at T. Clark CTO? That was Graham. He's amber on that. I don't particularly rate that one. It's just it's just one of these super low margin contracting businesses, and the 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 the, the cycle tends to have a time lag between the economy turning down while they work through existing contracts. So, you know, if you look at the share price and look at what happened in previous recessions, you'll understand why I'm wary on T. Clark. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the business. It seems okay. But um, as I say, doing these huge contracts with wafer-thin margins. Now, I'd looked at Headlam, H-E-A-D, the carpet distributor. Uh, they put out finals. I like this. It's green. I'm green on it. It's inline results, resilient trading despite the macro conditions. Um, they brought down the 2023 forecasts quite a lot in recent months. They're now much more cautious. You get fantastic divvies. It's got an amazing balance sheet, Headlam has. Stuffed full of freehold properties. It's a lovely business, I have to say. So I like that a lot. Seraphine, which was my saviour this year with a 200% premium takeover bid, BUMP. This uh, announced that the 30p takeover bid is going ahead because acceptances have gone over the crucial 75% level. Looks like there's quite a few holdouts there who are not happy with the deal. Of course, the takeover deal is only at one-tenth of the price it listed at. So uh, uh, terrible for people who bought in the original listing. Um, but great for people like me who bottom fished and made a made a profit on it. Um, the shares are going to delist of 6th of April. The company was actually pretty close to going bust. So I think the takeover deal was lucky for shareholders, actually. Music Magpie, MMAG. This is awful. Um, I looked at the results for um, year ending November 22. I mean, it's making a loss. Uh, the outlook's weak. It's a terrible business model. They're basically buying up old second-hand mobile phones and renting them out to people who probably can't afford to get hold of a phone any other way. And surprise, surprise, a lot of people default on the agreements. I, I cannot understand why the bank has given them, I think, a £30 million facility to fund all this, uh, these, these phone purchases. And the shares bottomed out about 10p, which I think is probably 10p too much, uh, and then shot up to about 50p. Recently, absolutely crazy. Well, they've given back a lot of that now. I think when people look at the numbers, you can think this is really not a good business. It would have to seriously outperform forecasts um, to justify even the current valuation at 30, what was it, 34 pence a share, 36 million market cap. 
I don't see any value in this at all. It's going to have to really improve its performance to justify that. And the brokers are not even forecasting any profits in future. So it has to beat forecasts. Uh, very poor, very poor. I wouldn't touch Music Magpie at all with a barge pole. Right, Thursday, 9th of March. This is a day I won't forget in a hurry. This was Bombshell uh, Day from Wandisco, W-A-N-D, which is a share I uh, held personally. Completely different to all the normal shares I invest in. So maybe this is a, a lesson from the gods to teach me to stick to my knitting and things I understand. Um, I'm very receptive to looking at things I've got wrong and learning the lessons from them. Who, who was it who said it's you know when you lose money on a share it's the market the market's charge for for teaching you for giving you experience and reminders and i'm happy to you know um accept that charge every now and again we all get investments wrong it's part of the game you know if you if you if you're, if you're averse to losses then really equities are probably not uh, the right place to be for you i accept losses from time to time i think this is the first time in my <clears throat> investment career which is well over 20 years now doing it professionally and uh well i bought my first shares in uh in the late 80s actually in one of the privatizations so you know i've been doing this a long time and i don't think i've ever actually been hit by an outright fraud in fact i flagged nearly most of them up to readers I, I remember warning everyone away from all of the Chinese AIM floats a few years ago. I think there were over 30 Chinese companies that listed on AIM, and all but one turned out to be frauds. And I pretty much said something along those lines in, in the small cap value reports long before they went under. I said, just don't touch any of them. You can't believe the numbers. You can't believe the people. And there's, you know, there's nothing culturally against China. It's just you, you go against the facts. You know, you, you probably get an award from the local commissar if you rip off Western investors because they hate us and they hate our system. Um, individually, obviously, the people I'm sure are lovely, as people are all over the world. It's just the buggers who run the countries uh, that, that, that sow all the discontent, isn't it? Um, so anyway, also a, a couple of other big frauds were Quindell, Quindell and Globo, both of which I spotted and vigorously warned readers away from. So my track record on spotting frauds is, is very, very good. But that's completely blotted, I'm afraid, by one disco. Because I didn't realise this was a fraud and it hit me. I even owned some of them. <clears throat> Although, as I say, I'm pleased to, to point out that if you look back at my previous small cap value report comments on one disco, they were extremely bearish right up until when the new contract uh, announcement started to come through in June or July last year. So the bull case for One Disco shares was entirely on these um, announcements about big contract wins. Now, I didn't imagine in, a, in, in a, well, I did imagine that it could all be a fraud, but I thought that was so unlikely as to be able to discount it. Um, but I think lesson to be learned on that, really, that contract announcements are not audited, they're not verified in any way. So to value a share entirely on the company's own announcements about contract wins uh, carries more risk than I thought it would. Because, you know, I, I just I just didn't think that a company would overtly lie about this. But that is what's happened at One Disco. Now... The company put out this uh, this bombshell announcement, basically saying it's all it's, it's all one person, just a rogue salesman. Well, 
you'd have to have your brain replaced with a partially with a parboiled cauliflower to believe that, wouldn't you? And that was certainly what the readers said. The reader comments on Thursday were pretty damning. I think all of us just agreed this is not a credible explanation. You know, bear in mind they're saying that uh, instead of twenty-four million dollars revenues, it's actually going to be only nine, if that. Well, you, I'm sorry, you can't get that past a CEO and a CFO with them knowing nothing. I just don't believe the explanation from the company. But we don't know, so we can't judge for sure. That's my hunch, and it's certainly the hunch of uh, the, the SCVR readers who all agreed um, that there's no way a fraud of that scale could have happened without other people knowing. So we don't believe the company's explanation. I'm, I'm working on the basis now this share possibly going to zero, because it also says, as well as all the figures being wrong and the contract announcements being um, a pack of lies, they're also now saying they've got significant going concern problems, i.e. they've run out of cash. Well, who's going to want to refinance it now? Somebody have just probably... The shares are suspended, so we don't know what the market thinks of it. But I've said here in Thursday's report, I think there's a 90 to 100% loss coming here. Um, so I haven't told my mother yet. That's the end of her uh, uh, portfolio. And also it's taken a chunk out of my personal portfolio. But I didn't, I didn't over... Um, position size is so key, isn't it? Particularly if it's something speculative like this. Um, <clears throat> I, mem uh, I met one. I met some other investors. I, I saw the company just last Thursday, when Disco, a week before the bombshell announcement. I uh, went for lunch with a few other investors there, and we we chewed the cud. And you know, it's always good to debrief after a physical meeting. Uh, I did pick up on a lot of very negative. Um, body language from the CEO and I said this to these other guys at the meeting afterwards and I said you know I'm now look I'm not an expert on body language but I am quite good at picking up on things where something's wrong I got that feeling at Silverdale just before that went bust at a meeting with them um or is it Silverdale Silverdale sorry Silverdale's the colliery isn't it uh, I went to university right next to Silverdale that's why that was in my head anyway uh at Keel. and um what was I going to say? So, yeah, I picked up on something not being right in that meeting. So I thought, I'm not going to buy any more wine disco. The trouble is, I don't know enough about body language to make it, to make it, to be convinced by my own sort of ability in that area. What I should have gone away and thought was, something's not right here, I should sell these. Uh, and that would have saved me a fair bit of money if I'd done that, but never mind. And then with the other investors, we all discussed the downsides, because you have to, and they said, look, the, the general view was the worst case scenario one disco is that there are some delays because contracts don't start when we expect them to be, you know, so we get a profit warning and the shares drop 30%. That's the worst case scenario. The upside scenario, as painted by the super bullish CEO, is that this could be a major multi-bagger. Um, and... Um, because apparently it's used by everybody and 5G data's going berserk and, you know, the, he tells a very convincing bull story. Um, but it turns out the contracts were, 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 were fictitious. So, I don't know, lessons to be learned from one disco, I suppose, is the most important thing. Well, we don't know how it's going to finally turn out, do we? It could come back for suspend, from suspension. We just don't know. I think, obviously, the CEO and the CFO will have to go. Their positions are, are untenable. And, you know, maybe once the investigation's been done, maybe they uh, they need to be in prison. Um, but, uh, or they could just be incredibly incompetent and didn't have a clue what their salespeople are doing. <laughs> Anyway, I've got, well, anyway, there we are with that. What to be learned from it? I suppose 
well, I just need to go back to my value and go up shares. My brief foray into speculative mania shares uh, <laughs> has given me a good kicking. And I, oh, I should say as well, I'm really sorry to anyone if you uh, bought some shares uh, based on my posts as well. You know, in my defence, I've always reported very even handedly on this and pointed out all the negatives as well. So I, I very much doubt whether many SCVR readers would have uh, this would have appealed to you at all. So hopefully in my wake, I haven't left too many um gaps in people's portfolio and if I have I profusely apologize um, but uh, you know I, I've only got the announcements the RNS is to go by what else can we go by um, the figures clearly uh, I should have waited until the audited 2022 figures actually came out and the cash was in the bank and I directly asked the CEO is the cash in the bank and he said yes and I recorded that phone call as well so I can back that up with um, with evidence if I'm dragged into court on it, which um, has happened before, not about shares, but um, I've defended myself and I've got a 100% track record of winning court cases. So I won't be a pushover if anyone does decide to take me to court. I'm up for it because everything I write is evidence-backed and uh, fair comment. So, right, well, what, what else do we have? Graham looked at Jarvis Securities, which he quite likes, and NWF. Oh, I looked at NWF. Very good, very good. Significantly ahead of expectations. I really like this one, actually. It's trading very, very well. You do need to just double-check, though, that it's not a one-off boost and that this, the higher profits are sustainable at NWF. It's agricultural supplies, I think. I always get it muddled up with Winstay. I think they're very similar companies, and they also um, sell uh, heating oil to agricultural-type businesses as well. I looked at <clears throat> a profit warning from IQE, another profit warning. They're coming thick and fast, aren't they? This is awful. I'm red on this one. Oh, terrible. A big revenue miss uh, in H1, which they say is temporary due to customers destocking. Again, we come against this destocking of inventories issue. Uh, I just don't think it, it, it looks a viable business, IQE. So God knows why the market cap's still 260 million. It's really the worst case scenario. It's selling in the, into a competitive sector with low margins, but it requires uh, a lot of capital expenditure on machines that need constantly updating in order to make this product that, that only commands a low margin so they're saying as well they're going to try and diversify into other products but what's that telling you that the current products are no good so commercially so i think i wouldn't touch iqe it's been, it's been going on a long time um it's got a lamentable track record it, it, it had a couple of good years a long time ago and everyone got excited about it including me but it didn't follow through you know it was just they were just one-offs so waste of time i don't think we'll bother covering iq again we've just got to have a blanket red rating on it uh, unless something changes if something changes we'll revise our view Anyway, Graham had a look at a backlog item called TT Electronics, which he quite likes. And I looked at a backlog entry called Galliford Tri, GFRD. This is in Thursday's report. So have a look at that if you're interested in Galliford Tri. There's a lot of the bull arguments on it. Don't really hold water, particularly this thing about, oh, the cash is equal to the, you know, the market cap and so on. It's gross cash and it's cash that's just passing through. It's favourable timing differences. The trade creditors line is gigantic. So um, 
it's not really their cash basically so i wouldn't attribute any value to the cash pile at galliford try although it's it's nice and comfortable and they'll be able to earn interest on it um but you know you could see clients not so prepared to pay the cash up front once uh, mindsets have changed and clients realize well hang on we can earn three and a half four percent interest on our cash so why are we paying people up front let's actually stretch the payment terms a bit and earn some interest so that could be a threat to companies which um, hold big cash balances of the client's money which is basically the position Galliford try is in but other than that my concerns over its balance sheet um well, the balance sheet strength overall is fine, so it's not a concern of the balance sheet. It's just, you know, I, I did go through all the numbers and flag up to people where this cash is coming from. Uh, but the profitability was very good. 65% increase in H1 profit for Galliford Try. This is a, I should have mentioned, it's a construction business, infrastructure and um, building projects, mainly for the 90% public sector, which actually is a good place to be in right now because you would imagine that public sector projects will just go ahead rather than private sector projects might be delayed or cancelled, possibly, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> and also the outlook was good, upper end of expectations for June 2023 year end. So plenty of positives for Galliford Tribe, but also, as I mentioned, the balance sheet is a bit more complicated than people uh, might imagine. Okay, on to Friday's report. This is the 10th of March. I started off by looking at um, a profit warning from Afirian, A-F-R-N. Now, this used to be called Amino Technologies. Uh, it's hit uh, a real low this week. It dropped 36% to 38.5p. Um, now, I've got amber on it. I'm not overtly bearish on it, so I'm neutral. <clears throat> it's a profit warning for financial year 11-2023, so the current year substantially below expectations so quite a nasty profit warning uh, i couldn't find any broker updates so i'm in the dark about profitability now it also mentioned there's a problem with the bank covenants <clears throat> which is resulting in a delay of the 2022 accounts being published now that's bad so i looked into the figures where any mention of bank covenants normally i would be pretty jittery and uh, be thinking about whether I should reduce my exposure or or, or exit completely. Um, but I come to the conclusion that I think with Ethereum, the bank position doesn't look does not look terminal or even particularly dangerous. The last balance sheet looked okay-ish, round about neutral net tangible asset value, but it's got nothing in fixed assets um, other than obviously the intangibles, which I, I always write off. So it's uh, an intellectual property business with hardly any fixed assets. You've just got about 30 million in current assets and about 30 million in current liabilities. Well, depending on when the receivables turn into cash, that could require dipping into an overdraft um, or, or using receivables financing. Shouldn't be a problem, I wouldn't have thought, but it depends how bad the trading is, expe is expected to get. They're also cutting $5 million worth of annual overheads, um, slashing their R&D department. Well, OK, that might help costs in the short term, but what damage is that going to do to the long term? You know, R&D spending, if it's spent on spent well, is what drives businesses' uh, futures, isn't it? So I don't know about our And The other thing is Kestrel, um, a fund manager run by a guy who I met years ago, who's a, a tech investor specialist, Max, something or other. He, um, I think he was with Peel, Peel Hunt originally. He's actually joining Ethereum um, as a non-exec. 26% Kestrel will have 26% of the company. <clears throat> I'd say he'd be a good addition to the board anyway. Um, 
and you know um you know it does it does raise the spectre i wonder if kestrel might look at uh, bidding for the whole company um sometimes it's easier for fund managers if they get their mistakes sort of out of the public glare and into private ownership uh also he might be there just to kick ass on the board you know and maybe um decide it's time to change the management i don't know but anyway I would say Ethereum actually, <clears throat> this valuation of 38.5p, starting to look potentially interesting. I think one of the lenders is Silicon Valley Bank, which I'll come on to in a moment. Oh, we've got to celebrate as well Neil Ricketts leaving Vasari and VRS. Shameless ramper, that man is. Um, I remember seeing him, I was, they put me on a panel with him at Mellow years ago, and it just gave a platform for him to ramp the shares. It was awful, and I was embarrassed to be on the same stage as him, to be honest. So I'm really glad he's 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 left for sorry, and it's just a jam tomorrow, cash burner, load of rubbish. And it's it's it only managed to do a, a 1.8 million placing in December, so I would say the cash has probably run out, and it's I think it's almost certainly going to zero. I can't see who would fund it after numerous previous placings, jam tomorrow, it's going nowhere and host more um rather concerning update from that as well that's been a disaster that was one of my biggest losses last year more the tgi friday's restaurant chain delayed accounts in discussions with its bank well we already knew the bank debt was a problem there so um <clears throat> i'm 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 red on that one i think it's too high risk but i did point out in friday's report how the mechanics of it might work if they survive without dilution this could be a five-bagger or more in a consumer recovery. So I think we shouldn't just think about all the negatives. We should look at the upside potential on some of these things. I think it's safer to be on the sidelines and to pounce when, you know, um, <clears throat> the moment's right. You might have to pay more, but you've got the certainty or more certainty that, that it's not likely to dilute. Sorry we didn't get around to looking at Robert Walters or Senkos reports. We're quite... Uh, um, a, a lot of stragglers left over last week, but we had uh, bigger things on our plate to, to, to digest, unfortunately. Well, not bigger things, but more troubling things like Wandisco and so on. Now, I should mention Silicon Valley Bank. That is the other big, well, three big themes this week. Profit warnings coming back, um, the fraud at Wandisco and, and the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Now, <clears throat> I am absolutely not a banking expert. And I saw a great tweet from somebody who said, you know, the more you learn about banking, the more you realise you don't know. And I think that was a great point. But it, in very simplistic terms, in overview terms, this is uh, not a sort of top tier bank. I think it's top 20 um, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, very much focused on high risk lending to startups. Uh, it does a lot of stuff with venture capital and so on. So it was doing quite high risk lending. Now, the, the fundamental problem seems to be that its balance sheet's taken a big hit from the drop in value of longer dated bonds, um, which I believe they're talking about government bonds. Now, this brings back a theme that I was talking a lot about last autumn, where I said that I'm worried about the system as a whole, because last year we saw big drops in bonds, equities and property, all three asset classes, which apparently hasn't happened for about 100 years, all three simultaneously crashing, obviously driven by the Fed and the Bank of England and other, other central banks raising interest rates far too quickly and far too much, in my view. Uh, again, a consistent theme of what I've been saying here. You know, they've really um, you know, dropped repeated bombs on these markets and somebody somewhere is going to suffer serious losses. You know, trillions has been lost by pension funds, um, <clears throat> insurance companies, banks and so on that own these bonds that are suddenly worth, I don't know, a third less than they were. Um, 
So there could be holes in balance sheets all over the place. I don't know if they, they mark them to market or not. I remember in 2008, um, <clears throat> the insurance companies, if you marked their assets to market, uh, they were all insolvent. But, um, the, the, you know, the, the, they managed to keep the plates spinning and got through it all. It's all about confidence, isn't it? So the central banks now know, and the regulators and the governments know, that whenever you get anything approaching a run on a bank, you've got to move fast, nationalise it or, you know, freeze its asset or what, do, do whatever you've got to do. Depositors have got to be protected and so on. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank in Britain, apparently the Bank of England just acted straight away and put it into some form of insolvency, I believe. There's more stuff about it in today's papers I haven't read in detail. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's the first proper bank run for a significant bank since 2008. So obviously everyone's now thinking, what about contagion? Well, the bank balance sheets are apparently much stronger due to more regulation and so on. And the regulators know what to do. They've got to move fast and they've got to stop contagion from spreading. So everyone knows what to do this time this time round. So I'm hoping that the problems um, are contained. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we don't know, do we? We'll just have to see what happens. Uh, it, it might also have a silver lining in that the, uh, you know, you might actually start to see some um, emergency interest rate cuts to prop the whole system up. I mean, I think the fact that they're hiking to to deal with inflation to me just seems so wrong-headed because inflation is high because of supply shocks. It's nothing to do with demand. So, well, uh, Fed, the Fed's pal said, I think he said it was a collision of too much demand from caused by QE and people buying stuff during the pandemic. Uh, a collision, it was the word he used, of, of too much demand and and constricted supply. Supply chains are now easing, you know, inflation in raw materials is dropping and so on. So, And everyone's forecasting, including the central banks, a rapid fall in inflation. I don't know if that'll happen or not. It seems to me crazy to just be uh, driving economies into recession um, by using uh, this blunt tool of higher interest rates. So I think I think maybe we'll look back and say serious policy errors are being made, but I don't know, do I? Nobody does. Uh, Friday was a really brutal day, wasn't it, on the market? I saw a lot of my stuff went red and quite, dropped quite significantly, but I'm not using any gearing, so it doesn't matter. Uh, so I'm not planning on selling anything. You know, I can't time the market. And we've seen before that, you know, when people are, are panicking and just dumping things at any price, that's actually quite often a good, a good time to be dusting down some spare cash. Although, you know, if we are going to get a spread, a contagion, then this could just be the thin end of the wedge, couldn't it? So really, have I got any great pearls of wisdom about, you know, how all this, this banking business is going to pan out? No, I just don't know. Like every, like all of us, I'm sitting on the, on, the, on the sidelines just watching events and seeing what will happen. But, um, you know, it could go either way, couldn't it? And on the economic data, apparently the I saw the pound has strengthened a bit this week to just over 120 against the dollar on a better than expected GDP, I think it was, was it for January? So um, anyway, the doom mongers, um, uh, you know, don't seem to be uh, getting what they want in terms of the UK economy, which is I'm really pleased about. I'm sick of people running this country down. We should pull together and actually, uh, you know, be more optimistic about the future, I think, regardless of what you think about bloody Brexit. Nobody cares. 
Um, and um, what else was there? I think. Oh, and, and yes, I mean, everything's going up and down because of the Fed. So, look, I don't, macro, I don't know, but obviously I'm worried. I'm worried about this sinking Silicon Valley thing. There was another US bank that went under or got into trouble last week. And I was glued to CNBC on Friday afternoon and evening. And they were showing really major drops in share prices for some smaller regional US banks. So, yeah, we, we seem to be very much back into sort of fear. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, the whole banking system globally is all based on confidence, isn't it? So the regulators, central banks have got to shore the system up again by the looks of it, uh, which I think they surely they'll do that. I mean, I, I don't personally see any reason for massive panic, but um, we'll just have to see how everyone else reacts. Decisive action by by, by the authorities is what can nip this in the bud. That surely is the lesson that we've all learned from 2008. So we'll just see what happens. And on that um, un note of uncertainty, I'll sign off. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, I hope you know, haven't, your portfolios haven't been too battered uh, this week. And, um, you know, let's just see what happens in the following week. Um, I'm just focusing on the individual company performance because I can't predict the macro side of things. Um, it's obviously bumpy and wobbly at the moment, but that's reflected in, in prices that are uh, cheap so in many cases. All right, then, I'm waffling, so I'll stop. Bye. <laughs>